0: Welcome to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you, challenges you, and inspires you to step into the life God has for you. For more information about our church, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com. Well, good morning, church. Man, it's good to be with you all this morning. My name is Stephen, and I have the honor and privilege of being one of the pastors here on staff. We are... I just echo what Pastor Luke said. We are so delighted you are with us this morning. We have been in the series through Luke, or through John, and it's been uh, really, really sweet. We're getting to this point now where Jesus has done a couple miracles. He's been doing some ministry, and now Jesus is about to have, in John chapter three and chapter four, so we're gonna be in John chapter three this morning. So if you want, you can turn your Bibles to John chapter three. We're gonna go verses one through 21. And Jesus is about to have two of the most crucial theologically deep conversations that is found in pretty much all of Scripture. And so these are really, really important conversations with two very opposite people, very opposite people. The first is a holy man, a righteous man who's done all the right things. And the second is a sinful woman in John chapter 4 who's done all the wrong things. And she is completely disqualified. But guess what? (laughs) In both circumstances they arrive at a spiritual poverty in which they both need exactly the same thing. So here we go, we're in John chapter three, start with me in verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born if they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh is birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We're about to witness the first defector of the Jewish culture, politics, way, and religion. The first prominent member to abandon their country, to abandon their Jewish way of life, politics, and faith for the real way, Jesus' way. Now in this passage it doesn't say that Nicodemus actually gives and follows Jesus but later on in scripture we see that Jesus actually defends or that uh, Nicodemus defends Jesus and then that Nicodemus also takes care of Jesus' body at the end when Jesus is crucified and he buries him so there is most theologians believe that Nicodemus does end up going the way of Jesus. Let me give you a little bit about this man Nicodemus. He has the highest positions and the highest standing amongst all the people. Not only, he's a member of the the Sanhedrin, which is their governing body, so to speak, the ruling council. And so for us, it's a mix of both uh, the federal judge and a senator, a pretty important person in their time. Not only is he important politically, he is also a spiritual leader, He is most respected, a Pharisee. He has done all the right things. He's looked up to. He has it all. He has every wealth. He's made all the right decisions. He has prominence, power, position. He is admired, and everybody wants to be Nicodemus because this is the man in their culture. He's the guy who never misses. Everyone knows exactly where he sits because he sits in the most prominent, most important position. And on the rare occasion that he misses... Nobody fills him because he is basically irreplaceable. He's amongst the top givers. He's the most prominent example of faithfulness and dedication that's been taught to the people and all they hold dear. He is a man of great esteem, of great honor. No one speaks ill ever of Nicodemus. You don't oppose what this man teaches because what he teaches is the greatest depth. He knows the most. You see, people like Nicodemus, though, have lived their whole lives developing a status and a position and a standing amongst their community. They have positioned their lives to get the most they possibly can, to gain everything, to gain that position, to climb the ladder, to gain power, to gain wealth. And people like Nicodemus don't risk it all because they spent their life obtaining all that they have. So why does Nicodemus, why does the man who has it all, and I mean all, why does he risk it? Henry David Thoreau once wrote, most people lead lives of quiet desperation. I think Nicodemus has gotten in touch with the quiet desperation beneath all of the, I have it all together, outward appearance that even those who seem to have earned everything, who seem to have it all together, who, fo- who post on Facebook and Instagram and it looks like they have the most beautiful family, with the most wealth, with the highest position, and even have the most respect in all of the community, deep down there is this yearning and this longing and this quiet desperation. And I think Nicodemus has found that out And deep down, he knows he is missing something, the most important thing. And so he goes to Jesus to seek understanding, and Jesus gives him life. He says this, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So he says, how can someone be born again? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. Again, Nicodemus is stuck and this idea of conventional religion that if i check off all the boxes if i do all the right things if i good outweighs my bad karma, so to speak, like if I can do all the right things, if I do everything that's written in the Torah, if I obey all the laws, if I obey all the rules, if I do everything that is supposed to be of my position and my place, then I have this salvation. He is stuck in this conventional religion, the same that we are that even people who go to church, even people who have seen and read the scripture, who believe in Jesus, still try to do this measure up type of thing. My good outweighs my bad. I I go to church. I do all the right things. But Nicodemus finds that salvation is not through human efforts or understanding. He's still in this idea that salvation is primarily found in the principles and procedures of my culture and what I've been told and taught and in the Torah. You see, his whole life, what truly mattered to Nicodemus was his birthright. Last week we spoke, Pastor Brent spoke about how the Jews had pushed out all the Gentiles from worshiping God because they were not born in the right place. They were not born as a Jew. What matters to the Jew is whether you are a Jew or not, whether you're a pure Jew or not, Jews hated Samaritans because they were a mix of non-Jews and Jews. So what mattered in the Jewish culture where you were born into the right position, you were born into the ruling council, you were born into the Sanhedrin, you were born into this type of position and family, and I say it to our students time and time again almost every single week. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you've done in your life, who you think and what you think about yourself, you belong here. And what happens in a moment that Jesus flips this whole birthright thing upside down and says, being born into this family doesn't matter. What matters is being born again into a new family. And Jesus takes their birthright Jesus takes the things that they hold dear and value, the birthright, the checklist, the religious rules, doing all the right things, being born into the right family, and none of that matters. It's a level playing field now, as Brent talked about last week. And it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter that he was born into this family. It doesn't matter that he did all the right things. It doesn't matter that he followed every single rule to a T and never broke them. What matters, he's he gotta be born again into a new family. That physical birth, it doesn't mean anything. You need a spiritual birth. So what does that even mean? To be born again? That's like one of those Christianese terms that we say, and people are like, that's kind of freaky. What does that mean? I mean Nicodemus says it. What does it mean? How can they do this? How can can an old man be born again? And Nicodemus does actually take that adverb in a Greek word that actually means that, to be born physically again. But Jesus doesn't merely mean a second birth. What Jesus means is the other term from above. It is a spiritual birth Nicodemus, again, is thinking on a human level, on a physical human level, and what Jesus does is he takes the physical things of this world and he teaches us about the spiritual things of this world and about his kingdom. He's not talking about a physical birth. He says you got to be born from above, and what this means is basically you cannot do it. The only way that this birth is actually accomplished is through the Spirit of God and makes a complete distinction between a physical world, flesh gives birth to flesh, and a spiritual world, the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. Any hope of salvation rests entirely upon God's actions outside of human efforts through the Spirit to transform human lives. All other options, all other efforts however religious, meaningful, or right, fall short. Only through the miraculous transforming power of the spirit to give birth in a new family doesn't matter. And so, maybe Jesus would put it like this. Just because you're in church doesn't mean you're gonna see the kingdom. I'll take it a step further at the risk of offending just because when you're five or six years old, you were baptized and just because you raise your hand during a prayer at some point in your life doesn't mean you're actually living real belief. Now, I'm not saying those things are wrong. Of course not. Those are steps of faith and obedience. But what I'm saying is Jesus completely changes the spiritual currency here. That it's no longer about how up you measure up, no longer about checking off the right checklist. What matters is you are born into this family through the power of the Spirit. Then, and only then, do good actions flow from then. Then, in this power of belief and Belief in Jesus to transform us, then and only then does morality and action follow. Like Pastor Luke was talking about a couple weeks ago, this is what we were saying with sanctification. That it's not a matter of I do the right thing and I don't do this thing and I do this thing and I don't do this thing. What matters is, it boils down to, do I believe Jesus is enough? And out of that belief, then follow all my right actions. So when I'm not in right action, maybe my problem is I'm not believing right. So let me ask you, what does it mean to be born? Like a physical birth, what does that mean? Our good friends, Jake and Jess Connor, just gave birth this week to an incredibly sweet boy named Lance. And I want you as parents to kind of go back to that moment for a second. When you held your kid for the first time. There's really no way to truly describe that moment, that emotional bearing, the weight of that that comes over you. It is nothing short of miraculous. It is incredibly beautiful miracle when that happens. And I recall that. was like, man, what in the world kind of gift is this? And then a couple days later when you go home and in a wave of emotion, of fear comes over and you're like, holy buckets, I got to take care of this thing. <laughs> and like, this thing, like, doesn't know how to do anything. Like, my son, Roman, he couldn't do anything. We brought him home and we're first-time parents and we're scared to death. Like, we don't have the doctors anymore. Like, we got to actually do this. <laughs> because he can't do anything on his own. This is spiritual birth in Jesus Christ. It is a beautiful miracle that is overwhelmingly emotional and amazing and incredible, and there's really no way to describe it except it's a beautiful, incredible miracle. And it also means that you're a baby. You can do nothing on your own. Everything you do is dependent upon the power of Jesus Christ through you. Everything you believe, everything you say, everything you do, everything is dependent upon him. That I do not last at all if I am not plugged into Jesus. I cannot last in this belief. I cannot last in this life. I cannot last in this walk of faith except through a complete and total dependency upon him. This is what being a baby is. That's being born again. And Jesus then teaches about the wind here. He uses again a physical world thing to teach about a spiritual truth that no longer, if you are born again, no longer is there anything before that. Your life did not exist before that. You're new, you're a new creation. The old has passed, the new has come. And so your old ways of thinking, they're surrendered, they're sacrificed, they're given up. That doesn't matter anymore and you walk into a new life of belief and you walk into a new life of action. You are completely dependent upon him and so that means the wind blows wherever it goes. You are no longer calling your own shots. You are no longer Your priorities and your position and what you want, what we do now is like the rope that I talked about several weeks ago. We don't live for this life anymore. We live for a life that lasts for eternity and that is following Jesus' way, going wherever the wind calls us to do, going what the Spirit asks us to do and doing what his priorities and his will is. Being born again is surrendering our direction and our will. Everyone not born of the Spirit thinks this is pretty crazy, <laughs> right? Like, why would you surrender your direction and your own life for yourself? Why would you do that? Seems pretty crazy to people, and that's what, that's what Nicodemus says in verse 9. He's pretty crazy. He's like, how, does, how can this even be? Nicodemus asks. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up on the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life." Seems pretty crazy to people. How can this be? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's our very power of God. And we recognize the message of this, a surrender and a dependency and an infancy upon Jesus seems incredibly foolish to the world. Why would you become an infant? Why would you become a sheep? Why would you depend on somebody else? You gotta be strong on your own. You gotta have your own direction. You gotta have your own power and your own direction for your own life. That's how you become strong. And we know, those of us who have been born again, that my very power does not come from my own direction and my own will. It comes from Jesus and from this, that this is the power. And it might seem foolish to the world, but we know it's power to us. And then he goes on to talk about when Moses lifted up the snake in in the wilderness. This is in reference to Numbers chapter 21, when again, remember the people of Israel, when they left Egypt and they're headed to the promised land, they rebel against God. They say, there's no way we can take over that land, there's giant people there, they're gonna whoop our tails. Well then they have to, because they did not submit and did not surrender to God's will and God's direction, They end up wandering in the desert for 40 years. One of the crazy things that happens during their time because of their sinfulness are all these poisonous snakes start biting them. seems crazy, I know, it's weird. And thousands of people are dying from these poisonous snake bites. So what does God do? God intervenes. In spite of their disbelief, in spite of their anger, in spite of their sin, God intervenes anyways. And he tells Moses to make a bronze snake and lift it up on this pole so that anyone who is bitten by a snake, all they have to do is get themselves into a position to see the bronze snake on the pole and they will be healed. And it happens. And these people are being healed because God intervenes, not because they did something special, but because God intervened. And so Jesus is foreshadowing Hey, just like the snake was lifted up on the pole, so I must be lifted up. By the way, that's the medical symbol that we have. Is the, that's why there's that snake on the pole, this medical symbol is from Numbers chapter 21. Just a little snippet there. And then we get to the most famous verse in all of scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Got a question this morning. So, been a student pastor a long time. In our basement at our home, we had a lot of really fun, entertaining things. We got foosball, we got video games. It's a cool place to hang out, and we got a dartboard. okay? I've played a lot of darts in my life, okay? No student has ever beaten me in darts. Okay, that's not true. But I've played a lot of darts. I'm pretty decent. My question this morning is, I won't even go that far. How many of you believe that I can hit the dart, I can hit the balloon with the dart from this distance? How many of you believe that I can hit that balloon with this dart? Yes, whoo. I was afraid you guys would have little belief in me. Thank you very much, I appreciate it. Second question now, I'll go a little bit further. How many of you believe enough in me that you're willing to hold the balloon while I throw the dart? Anybody? Oh, man, wow! Like 90% of you put your hands down. Cameron's like, I got you. Man, you guys really have a lack of belief in me. It's okay, it's okay, it's a lot of you put your hands down at school, it's no problem. Last, Last step, how many of you believe enough that I can hit the dart that you're willing to put that between your teeth as I throw it? Yeah, there's still a few of you. I'm so impressed. All right, Jason, come on up. (laughs) What? Come on. You don't want to? All right, Anitra, are you willing to? All right, come on, come on, come on. Get on up here. Everybody give Anitra a round of applause. Woo! All right. You are a brave, crazy soul. I trust you. Well, you should trust in Jesus, not me. All right, so come over here. All right, and then you put that between your teeth. Okay. Oh, my goodness. I did this first service. Man, nailed it. It was beautiful. Everybody clapped, and then I got down, and everybody was like, What are you doing? Luke came over, like, Don't you ever do that again. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't, okay. So here we go. All right, you ready? Oh, my goodness. I've never thrown a dart in my life. All right, here we go. One, two. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry. I can't. I really can't. I can't do it. I'm sorry. You can have it. Everybody give an each round of applause. She risked it. Woo. Good. I didn't want a lawsuit. So here's my point. How many believers did we actually have in the room? How many real believers did we actually have in the room who are willing to risk it all? We talk about believing in Jesus like it costs us nothing and yes, scripture does say that the free gift of God is eternal life, but guess what? That's assuming that it doesn't cost us anything if belief is the end line, if the belief is the finish line, guess what? John chapter three, verse 16, that says, God so loved the world that whoever believes in him may have eternal life, that's a starting line. No, it's not the end line, it's actually a starting line from henceforth, the rest of our life and the rest of our actions and the rest of our belief and ideas and priorities flow from this starting point. And Jesus said, Brent last week said that Jesus was the sacrifice so that we might be the living sacrifice. We, we act as if this doesn't cost us anything, but guess what? It actually costs us your, our lives. And it cost Jesus his life. But it's freely given that whoever would believe can start there, and from that point on, we surrender everything. This word, believe, pistuyo means to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in, put one's faith in and trust with an implication that actions based on that trust will follow. Is it really believing if we're not willing to put anything on the line? Is it really believing if we're not willing to submit or surrender anything in our life? It doesn't actually mean a whole lot then, does it? That's the difference between believing that Jesus came, and it's merely an acknowledgement of existence and believing in Jesus to accept absolute trust, exercising faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus sacrificed freely so that we can be living sacrifices. And it goes on to say in other gospels, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore, if anyone is, a new, is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. That's dying to our old selves. No longer do we have our priorities. No longer do we have the things that we pursue. No longer do we go after promises that are void, but now we are after his priorities and his position and his promises and his purposes. Luke 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it and whoever wants to lose whoever loses their life will save it for me. It's losing it all. It's putting it all on the line and saying, Jesus, I believe no matter what it's gonna cost me, no matter what position it's gonna cost me, no matter what place it's gonna cost me, no matter what reputation it's gonna cost me, no matter what wealth or lifestyle it's gonna cost me, I'm pursuing you. Because Jesus says, whoever, when they say, Jesus, I wanna follow you, he says, okay, I don't have a debt, I don't have a place to lay my head. Follow me. And they say, Lord, help me go and bury, I need to go and bury my father first. And he says, hey, bury the dead, let the dead bury their own. You go and proclaim the gospel. And yet another time they say, Lord, I wanna follow you, but let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of God. It seems crazy. Jesus teaches clearly from the rest of, chapter, uh, the rest of John that those who serve and follow him that means continually trusting and obeying, they're gonna have eternal life. John chapter 12, 25 and 26, that accepting Jesus involves hearing and keeping his word. John chapter 12, 47 and through 48. And that flowing from the life that we are given requires a continual connection with him. John chapter 6 and John chapter 15. John three, sixteen is the starting line, which is clearly given to anybody and everybody. But it's not the finish line. From that point forward, flows all our plans, purposes, promises, and beliefs. So, why in the world would I do that? That sounds pretty crazy. Now, this is eternal life that they may know you, the one true God, Jesus Christ. So, Jesus goes on, John goes on in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Anyone who does not hate, anyone who does evil hates the light, and will not come into the light for fear that their beliefs and their deeds will be exposed but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God we emphasize believe and and fairly so but why would i believe i would say and i would contest that the emphasis needs to even more so be on for god so loved that all we have to do is look around and we see the mess that we are. All I gotta do is look at my own life and see the mess that I am. And the evil and wickedness for all of humanity, we have rebelled against God and we have done our own way and we have sinned and fallen short. And we were headed to our own condemnation in our own choices that we chose to rebel against God. But God so loved the world that he intervened for us. We were headed to our own destination, chosen by our own selves, yet Jesus Christ intervened because he loved us so much. It's not on our own effort, but God intervening for us, placing the emphasis on his intervention and his salvation from the heart of God who drove the whole endeavor. And people ask all the time, if God is good, then why do bad things happen? My question then in response is, if there's so much bad in the world then, then why would God save us? Why would he do that? Because like a physical birth of a father, he loves you like the first time you held your kid so desperately, so miraculously, so beautifully. And we see the spiritual poverty of people and that God's mission, Jesus' purpose and mission is to save the world, yet still, nonetheless, people still refuse, and I don't get it. On the other side... The world sees and says, that seems crazy. But I look back and I say, why would you not choose salvation? Why would you not choose Jesus? It is an intentional choice, as this passage clearly says, that people love darkness. And it's an intentional choice to refuse Jesus. It's an intentional choice to try to hide our deeds because we are afraid of the light because we are dark. We have darkness And so is this refusal rooted in our irrationality or divine predestination? No. Because God is good. He gives us a choice. Anything less than that is tyranny. And he gives us this choice. And we, in our own calculated efforts, hide from the light. And uh, visiting a friend this week, going through a tough time, sat with him for a minute, for a little while, near the end of our conversation, he said, Stephen, I just don't understand how anyone can make it through this life without Jesus. And I concurred. See, our belief drives us to all of our other actions, drives our plans, our purposes, promises, and Jesus going wherever the wind blows us, submitting to his direction and his will. And you say, why would I surrender that throne? Why would I surrender my own authority over my own life? Because it's so worth it. (laughs) When we sing the goodness of God, I am overwhelmed with how faithful good he is because when I believe, truly, truly believe I know that he is enough that my own actions and my own efforts fall short but he is enough and I don't have to discover or, or build my own worth for my own life because he is enough and he says you are worth it all that I, when I'm afraid and I'm fearful that I can have courage because I believe that he is enough when I am down in the dumps and I'm, just, and I'm broken, I can choose joy because he is enough. When I'm sad and alone, I know that he is with me because he is enough and I just, I believe in that and from that belief drives everything I do and everything I love and every action and belief. So do you believe to the point that you're willing to risk it all, to put this thing between our teeth Say, yes, I'll risk it all. I'll put it all on the line. How many believers do we actually have? There's this quiet desperation underneath speaking to you. Do you believe that he is enough? And maybe take a moment this morning, as we open up the altars. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. It's offered freely right here, right now. You just come and say, Jesus, I know I'm broken. I know I don't have it. I know I fall short. Please forgive me. And I surrender my life to you. Or maybe you've been doing this church thing your whole life. I've heard a lot of people say, when I say, are you a believer or a Christian? They say, yeah, I go to church. (laughs) What does that even mean? Maybe you've been doing this your whole life. And you've never really surrendered. The call to Jesus is a surrender of your life. Maybe you need to do that this morning. So, if that's altars open when we go into this song, come as you need, surrender, believe. Jesus, help us. I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I love you. Show us more. Jesus, help us to be people who truly believe, who are willing to risk it all. You've leveled the playing field. You've changed the spiritual currency. You give us power in this transformation if we just surrender to you. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. Show us more. We believe you. Help our unbelief. In your precious, holy, and sufficient name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mount Zion Wesleyan Church Podcast. We hope this message has inspired you to take a next step in your walk with Jesus. For more messages or to watch our full worship gathering on demand, visit us online at mountzionwesleyan.com.